from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome in to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on today's show. It's a Tuesday afternoon here in Eugene. Ducks preparing to head down to the desert for a Saturday matinee showing 2 p.m. local time down there. 1 p.m. here on the West Coast. Fox broadcast. Uh, and we'll get to that, but we're going to first start with Monday night. We spoke with Dan Lanning. Uh, very first question that was asked was his interest in the AM job, the, his name being linked to that job. Um, and he was very passionate. His answer was very clear where his answer lays. And he's with Oregon. He's going to stay with Oregon. And he's here from a long-term perspective. I don't know if any three of us really believed he would leave for AM, um, but he made it very clear it's not really any job that's out there right now that that he will consider because he's all in for Oregon, which was expected to hear. Tough luck, guys. You're stuck with him. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, I say that obviously tongue in cheek because this was this was great news, and this is we kind of suggested maybe this would happen. This happened certainly last year when there was some chatter about a couple of gigs, specifically the Auburn job, and he came out and shot those down really quickly, and and he did this again on Monday night. And uh, I won't read the whole thing, but spent about close to two minutes, I think a minute and 40 seconds approximately kind of running through his reasoning. But some of the bullet points or some of the kind of the main takeaways here, he says, I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I'll be coaching somewhere else. I've got unfinished business here. There's a lot I want to accomplish at Oregon. My number one priority is being elite here at Oregon. Um, And then obviously referenced the fact that he's raising a family here, the community, the support he has here. Um, and then just his final couple of sentences, which I thought, again, kind of reiterated, we've already said, but he says, um, our players deserve my complete focus. Our fans deserve the best product on the field. It's outside noise. It didn't matter before. It doesn't matter now. I'll continue to say it until I'm blue in the face. I want to be here at Oregon. That hasn't changed. That won't change. Um, I don't know if, and again, like this is two straight years we've said this, but like, I don't know if I could have crafted a better answer to a, shoot down these rumors as quickly as possible, but B, win over more favor with the fan base. Because this is, you, you saw it throughout social media, certainly on our message board and other places, um, the YouTube comments of the video where he talked about this, like this just won him a ton of favor. Like Oregon fans ate this up as you would expect. He Not only did he kind of deflect all of this, but also like turn it into a recruiting pitch for Oregon about why it's so special and, and really, again, conveyed like, a long-term commitment here. And and another thing he touched on that I thought was kind of interesting is he mentioned that like a lot of times coaches don't address these sort of things head on because as he said, there are two reasons. One, they don't want egg on their face and the other because they're concerned um, about getting a better contract. And, you know, the fact that he kind of probably, I'm sure his agent maybe 
reached out afterwards and was like, we're leaving some money on the table here maybe. But clearly Dan doesn't care about that, or at least publicly he's not saying he does. So, um, and acting this way honestly will long term be better for him financially if he, you know, in terms of sticking around at Oregon because it, it again it conveys a long term commitment. And he's, and he's buying in on it, you know, he's trusting himself as a coach to to succeed, which um, I think Oregon fans and, and I think even outside observers would agree seems to be uh, headed in a great direction. So nailed it again two years in a row. He's been kind of asked these sort of questions, and and two years in a row, I think he's really brought it. Yeah, no surprise. I mean, he wasn't going to say anything else, um, but he says it in in a good way. This isn't the half-hearted, like kind of sort of like tongue-in-cheek response from Mario or what it had been from Willie Taggart. Like, you know, these are well-thought, detailed answers that um, I'm sure that he thought of before Monday night. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, this is certainly something that has been, uh, you know, in the rumor or in the 24-hour news cycle for however long it was between Dan's press conference and uh, Jimbo Fisher's firing at Texas A&M. Like if he had something practiced and rehearsed, that's good. That's exactly what he needs to do to, you know, not leave any stone unturned and make sure that everybody who's listening in on the press conference, which was a lot of people um, to let them know that, uh, that he's here to stay. And, you know, he doesn't care about the next contract. He's not going to like negotiate to get himself a better one. Like he's here at Oregon because of the resources that they deliver and, um, I thought he did a great job of saying that. And, uh, you know, all of it was true. Um, we have heard other coaches talk about um, why they would like to stay at Oregon or why why wouldn't they want to stay at Oregon, in the, in the words of Willie Taggart. Um, and it's all of, all of what Dan said was true. He has tremendous resources. Um, the University of Oregon Athletic Department is one of the better ones in the West Coast, if not the nation. Um, he has a tight knit community. He asked, he, or excuse me, he answered a question, I think the week prior about his relationship with other Oregon coaches to which he talked about how close they all are. Like between he and Dana Altman, they talk between Kelly Graves, the women's basketball coach, between coach head coach, Mark Wazikowski for Oregon baseball. Like there's a tight knit little community of coaches alongside the community of Eugene, Oregon. Uh, that is the city that Dan Lanning lives in. So uh, again, not surprising. Uh, we talked about that on Monday's podcast about, that there, it was out there and the rumors were there, but we would all be surprised if he were to have left. And, you know, Monday, uh, Dan did the best he could do on shutting down all of those rumors. Um, I'm sure that people will continue to bring them up. Dan's landing name will continue to come up in these head coaching vacancies, um, not because he's disinterested at Oregon or unhappy or isn't good at Oregon. It's because that he is one of the best up and coming young coaches in the country and anybody with a brand would want him on the sideline for their program. So get used to it. I think we probably talked about that last year. Get used to it. You know, the guy's 36 and is on the verge of, you know, two straight 10 win seasons and potentially a New Year's Six Bowl this year. Um, that's usually what we consider to be good in the college football industry. So uh, don't be surprised to hear his name continue to pop up. But uh, Monday night, he sure as heck shut down those uh, ideas that he could be even in contention for a job because he wants to stay here at Oregon. I think to Jared's point of he said what he should have said and was expected to say is, is true, but it, you, you, you touched on it, but I want to make it clear that like Taggart never denied he was, he was interested and crystal ball tried to say, don't put false narratives out there and didn't actually ever deny interest in Miami. And I think that's what, like if you read the quotes and you, and you see it, you, you think it's pretty impressive um, what he said, 
but I think you have to like pair the video with actually hearing what he says because it was very clear. Not only did he just come out and say like I'm I'm not leaving, which the other two didn't really do. Um, it, the way he said it carries importance, um, and the tone that he had with it. Um, I should also note that like no one like I think Jared said it on Monday that like no one's going to be able to outbid A and M's pockets, but. Dan's being compensated fairly well. He referenced that. And the, the base number out there right now is seven, but he it's actually eight, closer to eight and a half if he hits some incentives because he also gets a $1 million deferred payment every single year of his contract um, from the university. And Saturday is uh, a valuable game for Dan Lanning uh, in the paycheck because yeah. if, if they win – it, it kicks in a pay raise because it hits a, an accelerator in, in his contract with by winning 10 games, which at Oregon should be relatively easy for him. So every 10 wins he gets, he gets a, a pay bump. Uh, and also it rolls over another year onto his contract, which will only increase his value down the road, almost kind of like compounding interest, essentially. Um, like he could be making somewhere around 12 or 13 million dollars in the next four or five seasons at Oregon because the deferred payment still it, it runs through its, the contract's life and if he hits these in, these accelerators in his deal he's only going to be compensated even more and whether Oregon redoes his deal after the season which if they make the college football playoff they probably should um or if they make it down the road and they redo it then it's only going to get even higher. So um, I think he knows he has that rare. He, he referenced it the understanding that grass is not always greener somewhere else. And I think he knows that he's also going to be fairly compensated quite nicely uh, already. And down the road, if he has the success that he thinks this program's going to have. Yeah. Just my last thought is, and, and clearly, he thinks, and you're seeing it on the field now, the trajectory is 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 pointing up without question. And so you talked about Matt, and I think he outlined it well there, the incentives kind of built into his, his deal. He, you know, believes in himself and believes in what this program can do. The numbers he's going to be making in future seasons will, will be very, very nice. And it's already a very, very nice base salary of, of a little more than seven um, annually over the course of this deal. So, um he doesn't necessarily need a new contract to be to feel pretty good about no. where he's at financially. And I, I, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to rework this if they keep re reaching some of these benchmarks. And you want to lock him down as you know as, for, for as long as possible. But I think he made it pretty clear his stance on all of that on Monday. I uh, I'm only asking this out of pure curiosity for for Matt the the contract the deferred payments. What like do they move to the next year? Or they like multiple years down the line. Uh, it's on. He gets one million on top of his base salary and deferred payments every single year, and then they they put it into. Um, I wonder where those came from. Uh, it comes from the University of Oregon. Well, I know that, but like, what payment was being deferred previously, like to make it so that it's these upcoming years? There needs to be like, let's see, uh, 
let's say he took the original contract value and said, I want X amount of money deferred over the next couple of years. Because usually contract coaches are all just like, here's all the money right up now. Like here's X so, million dollars a year. I, I don't have the contract directly in front of me, but it states that the $1 million every season is like a, is a totally different number. It's not associated to a previous contract. It's just, we're giving you an additional million dollars invested into, um, I think it's a retirement account or, or some kind of investment account, um, for down the road that he has access to, um, at a later date. And it's every year. He doesn't, he doesn't get money that he doesn't get that money until later. No, it gets put into it gets put into an account for investment purposes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay. That he will access down the road. I don't know what the when it becomes available, um, yeah. but every single year he gets a million dollars thrown into a into a bank account, often some digital world, Switzerland, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Just for him. Yeah. Which. Quite nice. It would be quite nice to have a million dollars just cashed away that you don't have to worry about. Um, all right, let's. It's like the Bobby Bonilla deal. Just yes. Gets, just every gets a million dollars every million, year. Million dollars, yep. Uh, well, it's going to be now the Jimbo Fisher. Did you see that? His his contract is, what, $76 million or whatever it is. But it's. Yeah, we. There's talked no about offset. It yesterday. There's no offset. So even if he goes and gets a job somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have still, to pay him. $19.2 million in the next 60 days, and then $7.2 million until 2031. So it's your, pace, it's your pace to not be very good at coaching college football yes. these days. No, so being a college football coach is probably one of the best deals out there. I mean, look at like what Scott Frost is going to make in the next couple of years, Jimbo, like all of these guys. Uh, when somebody with a big contract after this year of ultimately gets fired, it's going to be a lot of fun. One of the best gigs out there. What makes Jimbo's different, though, is if Scott Frost goes and gets a job, uh, Nebraska's payments go down because it, it gets offset. Um, oh, yeah. Jimbo's Still, does not. It, yeah. they, they, they just owe $76 million no matter what he does. He has oh, yeah. no incentive to work the rest of his life. No, not at all. <laughs> not even Scott Frost does. Like. Yeah, the payments go down, but he's still probably getting – if it's 50%, he's still getting like $2.5 million a year. True. It's a sweet gig. Uh, all right, let's turn our attention now towards ASU. Um, there was good injury news on the injury front from Oregon. They had a lot of guys who either left the game and came back for injury or left the game and just never returned. Um, and Dan seemed very – he didn't really want to give us much detail, but he, he did give us good news on all those guys. And that was reflected today at practice too. Yeah, and to recap what he said on Monday, he was asked two separate questions, one about Bucky Irving and Jackson Powers Johnson, and then another about the defensive backs, uh, Julio Florence, Kyrie Jackson, and Dante Manning, and, and kind of their status. He said all all five of those guys, he said, did practice on Monday. He said that he expected that they could, I think he said, something like help the team this weekend or be, be available to. Um, and, and as Matt said, we went out to practice on, on Tuesday morning, and all five of those guys were there. Um operating in kind of various levels of participation from what we saw. It didn't seem like Bucky, at least from what I saw, was really impacted much or Dante Manning. Um, I didn't watch Kyrie and Jaleel quite as closely. Jared, were those guys in the mod bracket drill at all? Um, they might have been. I was only watching the right side of the field, which okay. Dante Manning was present. Right. And then uh, 
Jackson Powers Johnson, we should note, was in trainers on with the offensive line and was just working on snaps while they were doing full contact stuff. But uh, JPJ did speak with media directly after practice, and he's clearly good to go. He seems confident in kind of where he's at. Mentioned that, you know, he thinks about last year with Alex Forsythe dealing with, like a, he said his AC joint was barely hanging on, and, and he continued to play like the last two drives against Washington, and that it's going to take a lot to keep him out. So he's clearly nowhere near 100%. I think his his left leg had kind of some sort of a brace or some sort of medical apparatus on it um, today, but he he's going to be good to go, I think, on, on Saturday. And Matt and I were talking about this at practice. I think you're hoping here if, if you can create some separation from Arizona State, this might be a good one to get uh, Ayapani Lalalu, the, the true freshman, some run in the second half, if you could create that separation. Ada, to give him some experience, but also be to to minimize the workload for, for Jackson, just given where his injury status is. But across the board, good news. And then lastly, kind of like, I don't know, like kind of subtly a big piece is Andrew Boyle. And he he's the last year's kickoff specialist. We've, we've talked on this show quite a bit about Camden Lewis's struggles on field goals. I know Jared has kind of pushed the – impact that some of those kickoffs out of bounds he's had five the last six weeks or five, i should say six games um because they had the bye week mixed in there uh boyle was back at practice for the first time i had written my notes since september 6th so um right right after the opener and actually it might have been before that because i know he hasn't played in any game this year so he didn't do any kicking he kind of was just an observer but the fact that he's kind of back at practice suggests he might be someone who can contribute later this season and if that's the case i would imagine they'd like to have him take that kickoff job back from camden and and have him focus solely on on place kicking so i thought that was again sort of subtly not a small news item just because of the importance of, of that role certainly could be an important role um it's he didn't do anything. It's very hard to tell where he is physically and if he could even be able to physically perform um, those those duties. Obviously, we only get to watch a certain period of practice, and he didn't do anything other than retrieve balls for Grant Meters because Camden Lewis wasn't at practice because he had a class. Um, all that being said, yeah, it could be certainly something to monitor going down uh, the next couple weeks. Uh, I don't think Oregon would like to burn Grant Meters' red, shirts, red shirt this year. I'm sure that wouldn't be in their plans. Um, I talked about it yesterday where it gets to the point where uh, like if Camden continues to struggle as he is doing, you might actually need to look into the fact that Grant Meters may need to burn a red shirt. Um, Andrew Boyle was really honestly just a kickoff specialist at Washington State and at Oregon last season. So he's not going to be a remedy for the field goal kicking. He did have like a couple punts last year. Uh, none of them were good. And the punting situation is more than good at Oregon currently. Um, so it, sh it could be a bigger storyline. For now, it's certainly encouraging that he's back onto the field and hopefully he can help Oregon down the home, home stretch. I'm not sure if it's um, – I don't know if there's a correlation causation effect with Camden and the kickoffs and field goals. Um, maybe there will be, and maybe if Andrew Boyle takes over and Camden will start to hit field goals, and then there could be a correlation causation situation there. But uh, that is yet to be uh, – figured out uh but you know going back to the other injuries uh you know like dan said on monday night everybody was practicing everybody was there um which was certainly encouraging i don't think oregon necessarily needs it against asu uh, certainly would love to see jackson powers johnson in there but you know it's 
It's Arizona State. And I don't mean to disrespect Kenny Dillingham's program. I think he's a great coach and a wonderful individual. However, not a good team. So I don't I don't think it is imperative that all of them are 100% healthy for them to win. Like if they're going into the Oregon State week, yeah, no, you need these guys. But um, again, no disrespect to Arizona State. Love Tempe, love Phoenix, love that area of town. But uh, not their best football program out there this year. Yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that as quickly as this game gets out of reach for Arizona State, if it does get to that point, it should get to that point. If it's not, there's concerns. Um, yeah. I, I think Kyrie, Dante Manning, Jalil Florence, Jackson Powers Johnson, Bucky Irving, um, all these guys don't play. You you pull them. Um, you We had that conversation about like red shirts on the mailbag, I think, last week of who has available. And uh, it was Jerry Mixon who said like, I've played too many games after the, the Cal game. Like this is a game he needs to play because he's got a, he's got a game available to play. Um, if, if Jeff needs any kind of rest or if Justin Jacobs or Jamal Hill need any kind of rest, if, if you've got freshmen, if, if you've got guys that have a red shirt available to them and they haven't played the four games yet, this is a game to use it. Um, bring as you know, play as many guys as you possibly can. Because to Jared's point, like you're going into Oregon State with a short week. They are really good. They are a physical team. Uh, and then if you win that one, uh, you have another game, a 13th regular season game for the playoffs, and you need to be all hands on deck. So if you have an opportunity to rest somebody or that might be another thing. Like, do we even see guys play that, that have, have injuries? I, I think that's a real possibility. With with some of those corners, part of me wonders if you have them in uniform available, but try to rest them if you can, just because you do have some depth there and some quality pieces. And again, as, I'll just say what Jared said. No disrespect to Arizona State, even though this is sounding like disrespect to Arizona State, because we're saying sit guys because they don't aren't needed to play to win this game. But I, I do think that there could be something to that. And again, without knowing all the medical information and specifics of these injuries, it's kind of hard to assess if that makes any sense. Because like, if this is really minor stuff, then you just play your best guys. You should, that should just be the right. the mo. But if these are lingering injuries that could carry over, and you know, taking a week off is a benefit, then this is certainly a week where you could probably do that, especially at corner. I, I, I again, I, I said the position you'd be least confident about losing a player with center and i still think that's true even though i'm really high on poncho i just don't know if you want a true freshman out there for a full game but and same thing with bucky you you want bucky to be out there and he he looked fine today from what we saw so um but some of those corners certainly if it's like hey another week might really benefit them for the stretch run then i wouldn't be surprised to see them in uniform available but not utilized if if they don't need them yeah, and I think that might be more of like a second half thing because, yeah, you know, sure. for again, respectfully love ASU, but, you know, again, not a great year for them. But their offense has been cooking at points. Uh, certainly was not against Utah, but, you know, had a decent day at the office, all things considered against UCLA. Um, they put up good performances, and having your top cornerbacks in there um, will help negate that. Uh, they have some talented players on the team like Scadaboo and like Elijah Badger who had – Oh boy, I can't remember. He had like over ten catches last week against UCLA. Um, he had a really 12. good day, twelve catches. Um, like that's a guy where you would, yeah, you want Kyrie Jackson out there or Julio Florence rather than Triquez or Nico or Dante Manning. Um, 
because that completely takes away an option for Trenton Borgay, the quarterback, if he's healthy enough to play. So I think it'll be more of like a second half, like kind of like Matt was saying, like if these guys need some rest, yeah, no, give them some rest. But if you, if you can, if you need to, um, but for the first half, this is all about, you know, building up a lead and getting to the point where it's like, yeah, no, we're, we're up by X amount. Now we can, we can take out Kyrie. We can take out Jaleel rest their snap counts. That's what Dan and company have been so good at doing this season and keeping everybody, you know, relatively healthy throughout the year is giving these guys opportunities to rest. And uh, that's incredibly important, especially in football and in real life. Everybody get your good sleep. Hmm. Uh, Eric will have more tomorrow on the podcast with Chris Cartman, but something that's happened today from an ASU injury standpoint is Jaden Rashada is back at practice. Um, took, took reps with the offense. Um, how much does that impact this game? I mean, I, Jaden Rashada returning or, or a healthy Jaden Rashada is not going to be the ultimate decision of why ASU wins this game, but it could make their off, you know, their op, they, they'll have more opportunities to, to, to hang with Oregon uh, if he's able to play. He's by far their best quarterback, the true freshman, the former five star. Um, he looked solid week one, looked okay week two um, of the college football season, then was lost for injury. He's, um, Dillingham said this week that like if he's available and it's going to help the team win, he's going to play. He they only have two games left and he's got two games to play to preserve that red shirt. So there's there's no risk for him playing in this game from a long term perspective, and that just adds another element to it um, of, of what Oregon has to prepare for. Not only a funky offense, but now maybe their best quarterback. It, I I can't think of a time where you've had more like uncertainty about what the opposing quarterback situation is going to be not just because as you said it sounds like Rashada practiced today and, and could play and, and as you've mentioned Dillingham certainly opened the door during his Monday um, afternoon press conference down in Tempe with the fact that that they would consider it and that if, if it was the best situation he was fully healthy that he would play because as Matt said the redshirt rule um, allows him to, to play both these last two games if he's available so there's that component. There's also, to Jared's point, like Borgay is also hurt. Like he's dealing with an ankle injury. He was in and out of the lineup the last couple of weeks. He didn't play after like the what first quarter at, at in Salt Lake City. Um, and then there's the other part of like they've been using running backs and tight ends at quarter. I actually looked at the snap counts. They had 22 snaps this last game where it was either um, Cameron Scadaboo and or, or Jalen Conyers, who's a tight end playing quarterback and as i mentioned on monday both of them threw the ball down the field one one uh, was a scadaboo passing touchdown one of seven passing touchdowns on the entire season um for the sun devils and then conyers actually drew a a pretty iffy i thought in retrospect um pass interference call on a fourth down play that kind of ended the game for for the sun devils and earned that victory so um certainly an odd offense and we can talk more about that on this show or on future shows about just kind of the strange strangeness of what Kenny's doing and the creativity and the uniqueness. I think he called him, said it was kind of weird and he's a bit of a, an oddball and kind of acknowledged that part. And the way they're playing is certainly different than what yeah. you see week in and week out. Like they ran, I think almost <laughs> a dozen, a dozen and a half plays out of that swinging gate formation against UCLA, which you go watch the highlights, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Cause it's just, just a bit strange. So, um, but yeah, to the quarterback thing, might be Rashada this week, which would be certainly a bit of a change for from where they've been the last month or so. 
Yeah, the the Rashada news is certainly interesting. Um, I I don't know if like it's weird because he hasn't played in two months. Like his last game was uh, I think against Oklahoma State on like the second week of September. So do you want to just throw him like right in the fire? Um, like does he present the best opportunity for you guys for not you guys but for Arizona State to win? I'm not saying like Trenton Borge has been. Um, good but i i don't know if like putting a guy who hasn't played uh, a single snap of college football other than practice in a game against you know a top 25 defense in the country and brandon dorless and jordan birch and blitzing linebackers is also a recipe for success i'm not sure if there is a recipe for success um but like eric mentioned like trenton borga is still banged up and drew pine who i think is maybe their best quarterback he's been banged up the basically the entire year he hasn't played in a long time either um so and like eric just ran through it's been a very incredibly strange situation at quarterback for them over the past uh, two three weeks like specifically been really weird like kenny dillingham has been getting uh, a lot of fun with it it's almost kind of like you're playing madden against uh i don't know the, the little kid who who lives down the street you're just like shoot let's put let's put my cornerback at quarterback let's see how he does um it's going to be funky, and I'm going to be really interested to see if Jaden Rashada plays because if he does, it'll at least be kind of fun. Now, he's a he's a fun quarterback to watch. I'm not sure how good he is just because his sample size is so small, just two games. But uh, in those two games, he certainly gave them some run, and he obviously had the most interesting NIL story on earth <laughs> last year. So just a little more to add to the flair of the game. Wouldn't surprise me if – Dillingham goes crazy, and we see multiple plays with two quarterbacks on the field at once. Like, if there's a coach in the Pac-12 that does something stupid – or not stupid, but just crazy like that, like, it's Dillingham. He'll – all the funky stuff we saw with him last year at Oregon that we're now seeing at ASU, like, he'll fi- he'll find a way. He'll be like, all right, you guys didn't know who to prepare for. Here's both. How do you respond? That's that a good would point. be uh, – <laughs> that would be something. Or – I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he come away from this game going like, man, Kenny just threw everything at Oregon, and and if I again, I yeah. don't have any question about the end result in this one. Oregon should win and win decisively, yeah. but like, he is gonna pull out all the tricks. You know, it's that. what he, it's what he did against USC earlier in the season. I think USC was yeah. still like a, you know a top ten team at that point, but they made it close, and it was close because they, they went nuts. They just went like reached in the bottom of their playbook bag and said, "All right, this one, let's let's run this." And, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it didn't. And that's that was that's the only thing with the ASU in this instance is like, if it doesn't work, then you give you know you then you give probably give Oregon a good shot at getting the ball with an interception or a turnover on downs and great field position. So, um, but that's the only way that this team I, I think can win on Saturday for ASU is if all these little trick plays and wild fourth down and sevens, they go for it inside their own territory. If those begin to amount and pile up and work all the time, then certainly puts them in a better position to win than not. I, I bet you Kenny's like rules guy is really busy. Cause I'm sure he's like, can we just have the center hand it to the left guard and have him throw it or just finding all these, yeah. just like, what's the <laughs> yeah. weirdest thing we can actually do within the rules of this sport. So yeah, yeah we'll see some it's fun. stuff we know. All right, that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, like we mentioned, Eric will have Chris Cartman on 
uh, from our 24-7 sports ASU site uh, to preview and get insight into Dillingham's era at ASU. And then Thursday we'll record our pregame show and, and prediction show. And then uh, Saturday night, uh, Jared and I will have the wrap-up show. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.